Welcome to the Quest Express, your passport to immersive travel experiences and cozy conversations. For curious explorers who understand the art of slow travel, we're your go-to podcast. Every few weeks, we touch the heartbeat of a new city where we chat with artists, innovators, historians, and entrepreneurs who make each city come alive. The Quest Express is not just a podcast, it's your ultimate slow travel companion. It's an invitation to begin your own quest. Today, we'll talk about archaeology, architecture, artist salons, and food, and why women weren't allowed to talk about God a few hundred years ago. So when they found the rocks, basically they found Roman roads, which now are lying under the water. You fishermen take us where you cannot place a post and we'll do our <laughs> research. But of course, it's all underwater, so you really have to do scuba diving. So it's incredibly fascinating because unlike the rest of uh, the archaeological research in the world, which is basically digging in a solid ground or some soil, Venice is a city which poses different challenges and asks you to go under the water, under the, the mud. The problem is that now that we are understanding, thanks to these archaeologists, fishermen, art historians of the kind of Vladimiro Dovrigo, now the problem is who founded Venice? And it seems uh, that the ones that came to found the Doge's Palace in the year 810 were connected to a place which is basically all gone and destroyed when the industrial area near Venice, you may remember, was designed in 1917. So in that case, it's even more challenging because the archaeological remains are gone. So they mm. were destroyed. So probably we will never know who founded Venice. Now, the problem is to understand if among the first Roman settlements north of Venice and the city of Venice, if there is any relation or if uh, there isn't. Some archaeologists argue that the ones that founded Venice are the heirs of the barbarians that sacked the Roman Empire and not the refugees, namely the Romans that escaped the barbarians. So it's very funny. Tribes uh, such as Longbards uh, that were invading what was left of, of the Roman Empire in the 7th century. Okay. And then after that, the Franks uh, with Charlemagne. So we are talking about those uh, people that took over when the Roman Empire fell. Uh, when you approach history, you have two approaches. One is uh, to look at ancient documents. And one is to look at archaeological remains. History books written in the past need to be compared to history books written by different people at the same right. time. Cannot do the cross-references. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, I don't know, if somebody says, we won that battle, okay, and then no one else mentions that battle, it could be that that battle never existed. But we know very well, know what it means with fake news. It also depends on which documents you, you, you rely on, and you always have to take everything with a grain of salt. Archaeologists find remains which need to be contextualized, but when the remains the archaeologists find 
do not match what history books say. That's the fun part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> You're given like, mm, okay, <laughs> so there is no truth, but you have to, so that's not my work. Uh, my work is to express the complexity of the history. If it were easy, like an easy story to tell, there would be no fun, but instead it's uh, really challenging. Two questions for you. Number one, have there been any recorded history or documentation? Yes, we know that we had uh, a port called Altino, and that's been mentioned. But Torcello, which is the name of the island, the north of Venice, as far as I know, is not mentioned as Torcello, but as Altino or a new Altino. So uh, the thing is that also sometimes names do not keep the same. Right. Uh, so, but I think that uh, the problem is really to understand now the history of Venice rather than the history of the Northern Lagoon. By now, we know was already inhabited at the time of a Roman, of a Romans, of an ancient mm-hmm. Rome. Well, let's yeah. say someone was really interested and wanted to go down this rabbit hole, and they were coming to Venice. Do you? I don't remember if you have any tours on archaeology. No, because you see, the problem is that wherever it's found uh, is stored uh, no longer, not yet, in museums. And also the digging, uh, as far as I know, it's open in the summer only. And it depends on uh, where digging camps they have at the moment and if they allow you in. So it could Mm -hmm. be complicated but i know that during the summer usually archaeologists offer themselves mm. the tours and i'm the first one that goes to attend them rather than to explain because i'm not in their mm-hmm. team i do not know what they discover i'm just like a sponge absorbing if mm. i knew absolutely nothing about venice and its history and i traveled there in my fantastical mind i would say this used to belong to Persia, or or the Persians were here. But really, the architectural Middle Eastern flavors that we see, the influences in the architecture, that comes more from the Silk Road trading, doesn't it? So let's say Venice is a medieval town, okay? Right. So it was born, um, let's put it this way, in the ninth century as a state, even if the legend turns it into an older town. But The city of Venice was a trading center, so we have influences from all over. It's also important to remember that when Venice was a trading center, Europeans considered North Africa, the Middle East, the Byzantine, Byzantine Empire, and Asia much more civilized countries than Mm -hmm. their own. So the city of Venice is a place where all these Northern Europeans were coming to acquire, to buy, to purchase status symbols of this society. And this shows uh, also in the architecture. Venice, it's of course connected to the history of Venice, when in a strong bond with Constantinople, then the church of St. Mark and the first brick buildings in the city would look Byzantine. But then Venice is a city that also became a European city, so especially after Constantinople fell. So we have extraordinary examples of 
architecture that reminds of uh, the Renaissance uh, and then the Baroque, uh, neoclassical. Uh, we have also a lot of um, buildings, I would say, of the Gothic style, which is something you would find in France, you would find uh, in uh, in Germany, and at the same time in Syria. So it's a city mm. that really shows its strongly multi-ethnic nature in its architecture. Mm -hmm. So I would say it's like a sponge. That is a great characterization. Important to look Byzantine when they wanted to look Byzantine. Mm. And it was interesting to look Renaissance when they wanted to look like the heirs of a ancient Roman Empire. So mm -hmm. it, architecture is the most political of the arts. That's for sure. So nothing mm. is beautiful just to be beautiful. It's to communicate messages. Just think Jefferson did in the, in the States. It's a major choice. I don't want to go off on the rabbit hole, but with Jefferson in the States with regard to what architecture? We talk about civil architecture, mm -hmm. uh, Palladian architecture in particular. Mm -hmm. So Andrea Palladio, who worked uh, in uh, the Veneto region and in uh, Venice very much between six, uh, 1570 and 1580, when in 1570 he wrote the four books of architecture. Well, if I remember correctly, Thomas Jefferson had five copies of that book on his desk. Mm. And so that's uh, the kind of architecture you find for uh, political, for uh, university, for architecture that is mainly civil, but also the villas, no? I mean, uh, it's all there. Could mm -hmm. you name that book again? Four Books of Architecture gotcha. by Andrea Okay. And then my other question, because you mentioned the Renaissance, this happens to be one of my favorite periods that I'm in love with. I'm very fascinated, having been involved with some myself as a musician, I'm very interested in the birth of the artist salon, the saloniers. So I wanted to know if you can share anything about the history of women who hosted artist salons in Venice. And when did that start? That started in the 18th century, I would say. Okay. Although one of my favorite women protagonists in that sense uh, is a Jewish lady, Sarah Kopiusulam, uh, opened uh, in her house uh, in the Sephardic area of the Jewish ghetto. Her home to uh, people that were interested in philosophy, in religion, and she contributed a lot to the um, movement that brought to explain Judaism to the Gentiles. So that's mm. one of the best examples, not to mention that she was a poetess. 1700, so we have also mentioning of uh, women as journalists, uh, women as also, as, as you said, you know, the saloons. So that's more in the books, uh, that's more in the, in the paper to read rather than to show in the city. I would have made a beautiful museum on what women in Venice did, mm. but we have just a plaque to remind us that Venice is the place where the very first woman in the history recorded went to university and reached a university degree. Her name was Elena Lucrezia Corner Piscopia, and she graduated in philosophy because 
her interest in theology was uh, in conflict with what the bishop allowed women to do. So, oh, no, there's no way a woman can talk about God or can read or do research or be a scholar on theology. So she hmm. changed into philosophy. And, and so we have a plaque. Uh, okay, not too small, but an, a name like Elena, Lucrezia, Piscopia, Corner takes a lot of space. Mm-hmm. If the, I always say if her name had been, I don't know, <laughs> Leah Jim, okay, yeah. <laughs> John, poor thing, she probably would have had an even smaller inscription. Yeah. Thanks God, she had a long name. So to mention all her names and last names at least took some space. But, you know, I mean, her graduation exam is the very first in the history we have a record of. So she's probably not the very first woman to have graduated in the history. We know that the record is the first one and it's the oldest. And so it's a big thing. You know, you would say, wow, <laughs> then women in Venice had a role. What kind of role? Also courtesans like Veronica Franco, Gaspara Stampa. There's nothing in Venice that talks about uh, the Venetian women. So it's, mm. as I said, it's more on books uh, or what the guide can tell you. But, you know, sometimes when you ask me a tour on a specific theme, then it conflicts with logistics. Better to rather let the monuments explain to you what they meant rather than to do a tour on a specific theme if Mm -hmm. logistically does not work. Such as a tour on Venetian women. You, You can do it, but I think it's a lot of talking rather than exploring the city that's my impression maybe you will find other guides who instead say no no it's possible to do it but personally i i find it very fascinating but not feasible okay so we're nearing the end of our time i wanted to thank you this was so fascinating and i do have a couple last questions just if you could the first word association, the first words that come to your mind, when you think of Venetians, the people, what adjectives come to your mind? Well, if I can start with a word, I would say water. Okay, mm-hmm. it's very important. Then I would say no sense of borders. Let's say very centrifugal, no, that it's uh, towards the external part. There is no border, the Venetian mind. And then I would also say people that loved uh, and love studying. So there's in Venice a strong research diversity, both the artists, uh, also in terms of also the future of a city like Venice is for sure a platform model that uh, we need to study to prevent over tourism from winning. And so this is Venice is a research case. So I'm happy making you happy, but no, it makes sense. I was just I was just thinking I September twenty twenty four is probably the most mm-hmm. likely because I have other travel plans. But I would I already have my wish list and I do hope that you would be so kind as to guide me around. And you have not mentioned food, Karen. I know there's not enough time. We need to do a separate one all on food. Okay, so let me just ask, in closing, are there any dishes or influences that are unique to Venice about food and or where should someone... When you come to Venice, I'm sure that you will find a lot of food tours. 
what I run are two tours. One, it's uh, exactly good for the winter and it's about the history of chocolate which is very related to the history of Venice, as Venice was an entertainment capital of the 18th century. So those exotic drinks were very much connected to the society of the time. And there are places in Venice where you can learn a lot about coffee and its history and chocolate and its history. Mm. In the summer, instead, we have the gelato story. And I've just uh, published a blog post on this uh, subject. So I invite you to go back to my website and enjoy reading. You know, when it comes to food, uh, I always uh, say we cannot discuss about tastes, but it's important to understand the ingredients and the history behind. And that's what makes for me a difference between healthy and good food and unfortunately we know that a lot of what tastes good is not necessarily healthy but (laughs) right that is we have healthy and good food at the same time but if you had one last meal in venice where would you go Oh, you asked me to recommend a restaurant. Oh, that's very difficult. Okay, Uh, you don't have to. No, because they keep on changing, okay? So that's my advice. Uh, There are many that start very well. Mm -hmm. And then after a few years, they change owners. Always get a very updated guidebook. A friend of mine is opening a new restaurant, so I'm going to check. Mm. (laughs) So maybe yeah. I can start with a new one, uh, which is called the Marzo Magno. It will be right opposite the train station. But I will post uh, something about it because I'm Beautiful. so curious to see what happens on the 7th. Well, grazie mille. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Go to cvenice.it for your next Venetian tour. Thanks for listening today and please share. Next week, we're going to travel back in time with Raffaele Desi, a true modern-day Renaissance man. We're going to talk to him about his work in multiple mediums.